But I see anybody who's less than 40 years old actually realizes climate change is a global problem. If you've lived in any area along a coast, Miami, New Orleans, even where I live in New York, we're having all these once-in-a-lifetime storm, once-in-a-lifetime thing, and it's happening every two years, five years, ten years. So we just, what I see is a real growing awareness of people saying, I want to do my part, and it could be from anybody. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 36, coming at you right now, and we are very excited about today's episode. We've got none other than the CEO of RS Metrics, Mr. Manish Sagar, talking all things satellite data, how it's procured, what it's used for, and the impact it's having on not just ESG, but the renewable sector as a whole. But before we get to our conversation with Manish, here is founder and CEO of eRenewable, Mr. Mike Niemer, telling you exactly what it is we do here at eRenewable. Hi, Mike Niemer here, president and CEO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both PPAs and VPPAs. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RFP process, whether you are a buyer or a seller of wind, solar, or battery storage, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Additionally, we help customers with microgrid or battery storage development, renewable natural gas by turning waste energy, LED lighting and HVAC efficiency upgrades, unbundled RECs, and provide energy advisory services to our customers. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you for that, Mr. Neymar. Be sure to check out our website, www.erenew.net. You can also check us out on LinkedIn, our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and The Green Insider Podcast. Connect with us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, as well as Instagram, at eRenew2020. That's at eRenew2020. Let's get to our conversation now with Mr. Manish Sagar, CEO of RS Metrics. Interesting conversation about ESG, what they're doing with their satellite data, how they go about procuring it, how they're changing the ESG game, as well as their EV tracker technology uh, that has become really big here lately as, uh, as we start to see more and more folks transitioning to electric vehicles. And an incredible answer on what does Manish see as the next big thing in the renewable sector. Great information. Glad you guys are here. Without further ado, please welcome Manish Sagar. Just historical context, I used to work for a family office back in 2005, uh, one of the founders of Priceline. And uh, we were doing environmental investing back in 2005. And one of the first companies we invested in was a company called EcoSecurities. EcoSecurities, I think, got bought out by JP Morgan in 2008 or 10. And EcoSecurities started the market for trading CERs. CERs are certifiable emission rights, right, which we now call carbon credits. Tesla would have what is called SIRS, which is because they generate, they produce these many electric cars, which take off these this much emissions off the road. If you take off this much emissions off the road, it's classified and converted into some kind of a SIR, some kind of a 
certifiable emission credit, or people call it in different, different terms. Now, the interesting thing is people have been doing this, okay? People have been doing this since 2000. I, I, you know, we were probably early in the game, but 2005, a lot of people were doing it. We funded another company, spun out of BP, uh, spun out of BP Solar called Sun Edison, right? So people were still doing solar. We were still measuring how much demand are we taking away from coal-fired plants, from nat gas, uh, nat gas plants, from any of the other spaces. We were doing all of this stuff before. But I always tell people, it, you know, there is a hype cycle, and hype cycle is a very famous hype cycle chart. If your uh, listeners want to go Google it, it's called the Gartner hype cycle, right? And if you're old enough, you've lived through a couple of hype cycles. If you lived through the 90s, you know what the internet hype cycle was. It was almost, right? Then there was a hype cycle in housing. Then there's a hype cycle. I lived through one. There was a hype cycle in IoT, where in the 2000s, we thought Walmart is going to have RFID tags on everything. But, you know, it took 10 years or something to catch up. So I think the first hype cycle in ESG was in the early 2000s. But now, in 2020, 15 years later, right, we are at the point where the whole world has caught up and the mass majority, you know, the early adopters were there in 2010, 2015, but in 2020, the mass majority of the world, including the largest investors, including the largest companies in the world, uh, including the largest countries in the world are finally waking up, you know, to one reality. The one reality is you can go create a new planet. Okay, so if you're actually managing to screw this up so badly, so fast, you know, you're at a point where you just can't recover, right? So 2021, we're on the hype cycle, we would call, we're at the plateau of enlightened expectations. Now people realize what is possible, what is not. RS stands for remote sensing. So we have remote sensing slash satellite analytics in our name. We were started in 2009, 2010. And we were started with the sole purpose of providing answers and answers to questions which were not only complex, but just hard to actually find answers to. So we started off doing providing answers to questions such as, is Walmart going to miss its earnings because there was a spate of shootings? Is Walmart or one of the big box retailers going to miss their earnings because of COVID-19? Is something going to happen because of disruption supply chain? So we used satellite imagery, satellite analytics to analyze, in this case, with a product we had called Traffic Signals, to analyze hundreds of thousands of retailers in North America, and then to call it some kind of a survey. So we're doing a survey of a parking lot. In a survey, all we are saying is there are 100 spaces, and on these many dates, these many observations, we saw 70% of them are full, Sometimes 60% are full in the South on a Sunday, majority of them go to church, so and stores are shut, so the parking lots are empty, right? So we took all of that data and we converted it and we analyzed it, used our data science, and we came up with the probability if Walmart or Kmart or Home Depot or Chipotle is going to miss its, earning, miss its earnings or meet its earnings or beat its earnings based on analyzing the amount of retail traffic that's going into. Did we use other types of data? Yes, of course we did. You know, we married it with mobile data, 
every you're in the retail business, you know every quarter is not the same. Every quarter is compared to a quarter. Sometimes there are more shopping days. So we also had a lot of data science. So that's that's the history of the company. For our ESG product, we use a lot of different satellites and other sensors, which actually don't have SAR and they don't have optical, but they actually just use refractive technology to figure out refraction and come up with representations of emissions, right? That's called hyperspectral or spectral or rectified spectral imaging, right? And then we also use all kinds of other aerial data sets. Data set is a plane which is flying around in a, in a straight line or in a circle, which we tell them to do. And they can carry either cameras, which is called a payload, or they can carry sensors. And lastly, we use drones and armies of drones and different drone suppliers to go do the same exact thing. A drone can carry a payload, a payload can be a camera, or a payload can be a sensor. So that's all the part in what we do. In Have you been able to get a little more precise information, or have you been able to be a little more detailed or specific in how you go after certain data sets now that you've got drones, which may or may not be a little easier to maneuver as opposed to satellites, or are they about the same? Drones are complicated. Drones don't really have federal regulation, which is well specified on what a person can do and what an individual cannot do, where you can fly a drone, what's a restricted area. So the way we use drones is if it's a public area, public area and the drone vendors and suppliers can go monitor it and, and fly over it, great. Majority of the drone regulation that we are aware of is you have to only be able to fly a drone within line of sight. So if we're doing something in a super complicated area, then, and we will tell some of our customers who have the ability to fly drones, it's their own property. It could be a mining operation. It could be a electric utility company. It could be a power generation. It could be a port. If they want to fly their own drones, capture the imagery, give it back to us. And then we put it through our processing system where we know and we can collate what we're monitoring. Point where you can do very specific and very granular work. But again, the legality, you know, the, the work that's being done in who can fly the drone. Can, can somebody fly a drone over my property without my right? It's a commercial property. It's an industrial property. What kind of resolution can it have? Is it, does it have to be line of sight? It's an issue. But drones, I think, once they get to the point where uh, they're using the same software, you know, I think drones will definitely uh, become a key part for the last mile, or not even the last mile, the last 100, you know, 500 yards. In ESG, the big part we're doing is on the east side, on the environmental side. So on the east side, what we're measuring is the key parts of, first part is climate change, right? So on the climate part of it, we're measuring the metrics which are influencing climate. So broadly speaking, we're measuring emissions. So with emissions, when we go in and we use all the data, we will come up with what's called a baseline, right? So the baseline might be a baseline for emissions over Permian Basin, which is where we have a lot of oil wells in Texas and the US. A baseline might be, let's go back in 2015, see what the emissions were in that area when there were only a thousand wells. Now let's go back to 2018, but let's see what the emissions are there. Why is it important to baseline? You can't drive progress if you don't know what you're comparing it against, right? So that's what we do. So if somebody comes to us and says, look, the pollution has gone up, we always say, show us the baseline and how accurate is the baseline, right? So that's the second part of what we do. It's very contextual and we measure 
what matters to that particular vertical. So for emissions, we measure greenhouse gas emissions, which is methane. There are a lot of, in Pennsylvania, where you know I have, I have a lot of close friends and family, there used to be a lot of coal mines. The coal mines were shut down in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I don't know, maybe 2000s, but they're, they've been shut down, but they're still releasing methane. Do the people who live in that area know that X amount of methane is being released and straight into their, you know, where they live, right? And methane, we all know methane is eight or 10 times more dangerous. It doesn't dissipate as fast as CO2. So we also measure these, right? And then we put it into context. So first thing we do is we observe. Second thing we do is we measure. And the last thing we do is we create vertical applications, alerting systems, monitoring systems, prediction systems. So we call the first thing we do is predict. So we predict, hey, is this going, are you a better performer? If you're a metal company, are you the best metal company in the world when it comes to emissions? And we predict if the stock price, if we think the price of a metal is going up, if we think there are more emissions going to be released, if we think there's going to be more lumber that's going to be cut and more supply available to the market. So that's the virtual circle of how we do it. We monitor using all kinds of instruments. We have about 50 different instruments we use. We measure, right? And these are just broad terms. We do multiple things within it. And the last thing we do is predict. And then we deliver in the end what we deliver. So Fred comes to us and says, Fred, hey, I want to do this, but I don't want data. So we have customers at their point, at their needs. So if you're a big data scientist at a hedge fund, you might just buy uh, thousands of rows of data from us and the data is updated daily. If you're a more fundamental person and you really want to track what's going on in a particular port or a particular chip factory, so uh, you can figure out if the supply chain is going to, or a supply uh, bottleneck is going to get resolved and you can pick that very factory you want to track. So that's an application. And then if you are another data provider and you want to use our underlying asset level data, then you can also use our asset level data and create derivative products. Over the course of the last two or three years, I'm sure you've seen that part of your business really pick up because of how important ESG has became to the corporate world and the retail sector. Is that correct? Yes, Mike, that's absolutely correct. I've been doing this for almost 25, 30 years. And in my experience, I've realized you just listen to the market. You know, we we can't figure out what the market wants. Sometimes the market is just ready for it. So in 2019, we had a lot of our large customers, the world's largest asset managers, the world's hedge funds, the world's mutual funds, some of the corporations who buy our data. And they started coming to us and saying, you know, we know you've done work in the past tracking mining, tracking the social impact of mining, uh, tracking the spread of uh, pandemics. Can you do more work and actually focus more on the E part? So in 2019, we really started focusing and looking at the market and evaluating what was in the market. And, you know, like any good researcher or company, we went and we started off from the bottom. And what we found, uh, Mike, on the E side, on the environmental side, right, which is what we focus on, was there was a lot of demand. There was a lot of demand from end customers. End customers are people like you and me who will go invest our money in companies, or we will buy products from people. There was a lot of demand from everybody for environmental data. But the way the data was being provided was still the way they used to provide it in the 90s, or 2000s, or even the 2010s. There was nobody really doing asset level data, right? 
So we said, what is the what is the big issue? So the big issue on the environmental side became companies would use this product or use something. It's disclosure called the corporate sustainability assessment. People call it different names. And it used to be part of what in corporations was called the do good part of the business, right? So it was the uh, corporate sustainability and, you know, the nonprofit where we would go support a United Way, where we would go support all the local charities and do work, right? On It wasn't that much about the environment. So they took the CSA and they started adapting it for the environmental part of it. And we looked at it and we said the benefit for the CSA is for companies who have more people on the reporting side. So big, big companies will benefit from it. And it's all self-reported data. They will come back and say, this is what we did in 2016. This is what we think we did. And it's best efforts basis. So it wasn't verifiable data. It wasn't objective. And it was old, right? It was from, if I'm in a 2020 report, there might be water usage data from 2017. Now, if you are an investor, Would you want data from 2017 when you're investing in a company in 2021? The answer is no. You know, I mean, it's it's relevant, but it's historical data. I want to see where it's going. I want to see what you really emitted. So we took all of these pain points and we listened to the market. And what the market wanted was something that was comparable. So if Mike runs a company and Fred runs a company and you both have oil and gas companies in Texas, and you are comparable companies. I want to see which company is more efficient in water usage, which company is more efficient in emissions. The easiest way to do is you go to your asset, Fred's asset, and you go to Mike's asset and you monitor emissions from a bottoms up level. Then you go back, see how much Fred has produced, how much Mike has produced, and you compare and contrast, right? That's what asset level is. So we started this in 2019. In 2020, we really built it up. So now what we are doing after listening to the market is we're providing asset level data. So think of our asset level data as Legos, you know, as building blocks. You can take one part of it and build a whole model around it. Or you can take all of it and these building blocks roll up, right? So if I'm tracking Mike's, uh, if I'm tracking Mike's asset in Texas, I can roll up all of Mike's assets in North America. And I can roll up all of Mike's company's assets in the world and then go roll them up and then some kind of an overall number for global emissions for your company and then categorize it and give your company a score, right? Or I can do it by region. If I'm Texas and I'm just regulating air quality in Texas, I don't care who owns it. I just care whatever falls under a geographic purview, right? It's the map that I'm really doing. So then I can roll it up by state. Or I can roll up all the emissions by an industry. Or if I am a state regulator, so for example, right now in COP26, we are trying to decide which part of the world is going to cut their emissions, who's going to net zero, who's going to net negative. Negative is when you're actually taking emissions out, right? And the developing countries are saying, listen, you know, a country like India would say, we have 1.3 billion people and we emit one third the emissions the U.S. does, which has one fourth the people we do. So on a percentage, on a per capita basis, right, the U.S. is 16 times more polluting than a country like India. But who's monitoring it? Nobody is really monitoring emissions at a country level. So this is also one thing we provide and we would provide it to the NGOs and the different 
bodies like the UN, the UN Commission on Climate Change, who is trying to negotiate these targets for individual companies, for individual countries, and for individual industries, and then also for regions. So if a corporation needs to get certified for ESG, and they need some certification on the E side of things for the environmental, is RS Matrix a company they could go to and you could actually certify them so they could show the score publicly? There's different types of regulations and there's different types of certifications in, and they vary by industry. So if you're in the if you're in an extractive industry, right? Let's say oil and gas, uh, LNG, you know, and any extractive, mining, any extractive industry. Before you even start, you have to get permitting done, right? So previously, permitting used to be done. People would go and say, I'm going to go set up set up a thing, and you get permitting done from the city level, county level, state level, federal level, right? That's on the permitting side. Every year, they come back, they renew your permit. It's like a fire extinguisher. Did you go do this? Now, on the local side, people are saying there has to be a better way of measuring if you've actually done what you said. You said your plant is going to release these many emissions. How do we know that you actually release less emissions then? the threshold for which you were permitted to do. So all of this stuff was done, was called from a top-down level. They would say, well, we have some sensors on our machines, and this is what they say, the sensors are certified, and this is what's done. So what we do is the regulation is probably catching up to the new tech we have. So they can use us, all the, the corporates, the regulators can use us as a secondary source, right? But the regulators haven't come to a point where they've said, we are using remote sensing or a product or platform like ESG signals to actually certify it, okay, to do certification. So that's standard setting as from standard setting bodies, right? So in this case, the standard setting body for environmental regulation might be the United States Environmental Protection Agency, or in Europe, it'll be the European Environmental Protection Agency saying, for polluting industries, we want this kind of certification done and remote sensing and the work ESG signals is doing is verified. So that's what we can do. However, a bigger part of what we do is we really provide business intelligence, right? So this is what, if you're the CEO of one of the world's largest oil and gas companies or a smaller oil and gas company, part of your job as the CEO is to really know what your risks are. You can't really know what your risks are if you don't even know what the baseline is. Suddenly you're like, hey, I have a business. And what if the price of carbon goes from, trading carbon goes from 25 to 200? Do you know how much carbon you're releasing or how much CO2 equivalent you're releasing? The answer is probably no. So the second part of what we do for corporations is we provide them real-time business intelligence. And the analogy I use is, you know, there's two types of accounting, right? There's external accounting. So I'm the CEO, I'll go report my quarterly numbers, certified by the CEO, certified by the SECs using standards, and they are investor-facing numbers. But as management of a big company, we also use managerial accounting to really drive our business. We say, who's the most productive? Where's the risk? Who's my best salesperson? You know, where do I need to improve? You know, where do I need to improve production, reduce production, et cetera, et cetera. So we have two value propositions for corporates for ESG signals. The first value proposition, which is the strongest, is to give management a real baseline, to tell them the real numbers for everything environmental. That's the first part. And we do it at an asset level. And it's like, why do you do it at an asset level? Because if you want change, 
you have to change it at an asset. In the end, emissions aren't emitted from your balance sheet. They're emitted from an asset. If you can figure out that your asset in Texas is more productive or emitting less than your asset in Oklahoma, well, you have to figure out why, right? And we can baseline it. So that's called baseline. The second part we do is we benchmark. So you might be surprised, but uh, you know, the similar companies in different geographies will have very different results. And you know, for us, we will actually point out the results and say, in the end, if your asset in Indonesia, for example, is 10 times polluting 10 times more than your asset in Europe, doesn't it make sense to spend more money reducing the emissions in Indonesia, which will only cost you X, than reducing the already low emissions in Europe, right? So the point is, unless people really know what they are doing and what baseline is, they can't really do much and change behavior, which is why when we said, you know, we're not in the business of generating fancy reports. We're not in the business of saying, hey, here's more carbon you can trade. We're actually in the business of telling people, this is what your baseline is. This is how you compare against your, your competitors, against the rest of the world. You can slice and dice it any way you want. And then we can also tell you how to improve it. And that's where, you know, we actually make money. We go back, tell you, this is what we saw and we help you optimize. Because you have a very niche industry and because you kind of got the, you know, the, the market cornered on, on satellite information and, and just listening to these last 20, 30 minutes, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by how you guys uh, procure this information. What kind of scrutiny do you get from folks as far as the, you know, the validity of this information and how you guys go about benchmarking it, measuring it and disseminating it back to the companies? So the history of satellite analytics and remote sensing is we were considered ground truth. So let me just give you, give you some examples. What does ground truth mean? You know, in these political disinformation times, everybody has their own version of reality, right? We can, I think we can all agree to that. It's red, now it's blue. It's black, no, it's white. So ground truth for us means what actually happened. So when we got our start in 2009 and 10, the first project we did was for a very large private equity company, which was buying an asset in Southeast Asia. And they said, we kind of believe them, but just imagine this is 2009, right? iPhone 2 had come out. It's a different time. It's not now so everybody uses satellites. You and I are chatting as if it's the most normal thing in the world. At that time, they really wanted to verify, but they couldn't really send people there and run around and say what it was. So they came to us and said, can you really check if they're producing what they're producing? So what did we do? We went back, used some satellite imagery. One of our founders used to work for a company, took photographs, which is really time series of data, analyzed them and ground truth verified what was going on, right? So satellite analytics has traditionally been used by military, commercial governments to be the ground truth. If I tell you that there's a ship stuck in Suez Canal, you're like, no, you're just like, well, you know what? I'm gonna show you. So here's a satellite imagery and I will actually timestamp and show it to you how it's stuck and why it got stuck. And I will show you previously, I'll provide you the context the context behind the Suez Canal stuff is that, look, there are 800 ships behind it. And if they don't move, so that's context. So the ground truth part of what you've asked is that's the historical perspective. People have always come to the satellite or remote sensing industry to verify what's there. DRAM stands for dynamic memory, right? Which you and I use for our computers. Had a big chip fire in the 2010s in the big factory in Korea. What happened when people found out about the factory fire through Twitter? The prices of DRAM went up 50%. 
some of our large customers who are hedge funds said they came to us the next day or within the same day and said, can you really verify what the damage is, what the real ground truth is? You know, it's very hard. Nobody knows. It's a big chip factory in Korea. So we used our analytics process to figure out that the fire has actually was actually in the shipping part and the fab where you actually make the chips wasn't damaged. So within two days, using our analytics, using our data, we were able to figure out that production hadn't stopped, shipping had stopped, which they automatically moved to a new shipping part, and the prices of DRAM, which had gone up 50%, 100%, suddenly went down. So we were the ground truth to really verify what was happening. How do I know that the actual numbers that a publicly traded company is coming out with are true? How do I know that? Well, the way we know it is because the numbers are reported according to a standard that has been set. The standard that's been set in accounting in the U.S. could be FASB, Financial Accounting Standards Board. And we all have to use, all the publicly reported companies have to use FASB standards, which are set up by different industry, how you depreciate, how you capitalize. So well-established industry going back 60 years, but it keeps on changing, right? And then the numbers I report are audited by a third party. Nobody's going to believe me. I'm like, hey, I'm a big publicly traded company. Mike's company comes in, which is one of the big four auditors, and actually audits the numbers for us. So we have the third-party verification. So on the E side, what is currently being reported is there, there are too many competing standards, right? So there's a standard called SASB, Sustainable Accounting Standard, PRI, Principles for Responsible Investing. So there's about four or five, six competing standards. We work with all of them. We say, listen, in the end, what we're giving you is asset level data. You can go slice and dice it and report it the way you want to. But in, in the end, a company, if I want to really compare company A with company B, it's very easy for us to compare it because we are giving asset level data. Now, the second point is you're like, how do I know what you're measuring is what it actually is? So that's a deeper and more complicated question. So how do I know measuring the emissions? It's actually what they are. Right? The satellite up there is capturing methane emissions. How do we know it's what it is? So some of the big satellite providers in this space who've been doing it for the past 10, 15, 20 years have actually done what are called blind tests, right? So it's the same way we would do a blind test on a car. How do I know the car produces this much horsepower? I put it on a dynometer and I go do it and I go measure the horsepower. So the same way these satellite companies have done what are called control tests, where they will go to a space, go to a factory, release emissions. They know how much they're releasing. And then they will measure it and say what percentage is true. The data we are getting from the satellite companies has actually been tested. So that's the first part of testing that's been done. So that's a very important part. There was, and that is the number one thing that comes up with the regulation, with the regulatory industry. So the SEC is going to announce something. It's, it's, in, their, it's in their website in the next two months that where they're going to mandate a standard for all public companies in the US, right? The SEC is a Securities and Exchange Commission, so it regulates what all the publicly listed companies on American exchanges. They're going to regulate a standard for ESG and standard for reporting. So our hope is by the time 2021, they, they have the regulations, the regulators will catch up, the federal regulators, and they will probably end up deciding on a technology like ours, right? our technology per se we're just providing the application remote sensing is a very you know it's an old technology that's been used for a very long time but we're bringing it into the esg space is what we're doing 
How might RS metrics and ESG signals apply what you guys are doing to help renewable companies know where to put things? Or is that kind of part of what you guys are doing right now? And, you know, it's the kind of disruptive thinking we want our customers to embrace. So I love cars and I am definitely, my next car is going to be EV. I live in Connecticut, Connecticut, New York, and there's just not enough EV charging stations. If I go into New York or I go somewhere else, there's just not enough. If I have a Tesla, not enough Tesla superchargers. So part of my hesitation, as there is the hesitation for the rest of the world, is, is there enough infrastructure set up? The reason the ICE, uh, the internal combustion engine works, is because I just go to a gas station. There's a gas station within a mile of everybody, right? Two miles in the U.S. So what we do on the EV industry and the larger industries, we always step back, right? I was like, hey, step back, analyze the industry. So we've broken the EV industry down into four different distinct uh, segments. The first segment is what is EV? The EV is the BEV, the battery electric vehicle. So we track where all the battery material is coming from. So uh, our, our marketing team did a phenomenal post, which was a Japanese Nobel laureate who actually invented the lithium ion battery. And this was, you know, if you guys like history in the 70s, 80s, I'm old enough where I had a Sony Walkman. And, you know, the Sony Walkmans kept on getting smaller and smaller because they really pioneered the lithium ion battery and it could store more and more and more. But guess what? These were very small batteries. Where is lithium made? It's a material. It's mined out. So what we've started doing is we've gone back. So the first segment we track in the EV market is all the miners. Where are you getting your lithium from? Where are you getting your nickel from? Where are you getting your cadmium from? Where are you getting all the rare earth metals from? So the market obviously will suddenly start investing and all the lithium miners will shoot up. Right. So that's the first thing we track, which is using one of our platforms called Metal Signals, where we track stuff at the mine. The second thing we do is this is just mining material. You have to clean it up, make it into ore, make it into a refined process, which you can use. So that's usually done smelter level. So the second part, what we track is people who are making what you and I would call the engines for these cars, which are the battery tech companies. So the battery tech companies in the 90s and 2000s were like, you know, the Japanese. The Japanese really pioneered innovation in the lithium ion, lithium cadmium batteries, nickel cadmium, which you and I, you know, we all use, right? That's what we've grown up. Now the Chinese and Koreans and Americans and everybody else is catching up. So the second thing we do is we track production and all kinds of metrics around the battery producers. So the two big battery producers, there's LG Chem which is obviously, you know, LG is the big company, Lucky Gold Star, the Korean company, and there's Panasonic. Panasonic has a JV with Tesla. Panasonic is, I think, probably by far the largest. And then there's a very big Chinese company called CATL, uh, which is the big Chinese company. And Volkswagen, which is by far, I think, still the largest auto producer in the world, has a deal with a very big company called Quantum Scale. So we also track their batteries. So we, that's the second part we track. The third part we track is the people who are really putting and assembling these cars together. So these are what you and I are interested in when we think of the EV market. This is companies like Tesla, companies like NIO, companies BYD, companies like Ford, which is just producing the Mach-E, companies like VW, which is producing the ID4 and the ID3, et cetera, et cetera, right? So these are the companies where we track. For Tesla, it's easy because they only make EVs. So we've been tracking Tesla production since 2015 and selling it to the market. 
What we have changed in 2021 is now we have the ability, if you're an individual investor or a small family office, or you're just interested, you can go to our website, rsmetrics.com, we'll search for EV tracker, and you also have the ability to buy the data. So the lastly, on the fourth segment we track on the EV market is where are my, the gas stations? You know, that's the recurring model. That's how we make money. So right now, people don't really pay that much for charging, for charging, but you know, electricity is not free. Electricity is generated using other raw materials. So we charge where all the charging stations are and who are some of the publicly traded companies in this space and where they're charging stations. So with Tesla, we can track the Tesla superchargers. With EVgo, which is a publicly traded company, we just announced a deal with Meyer. We track their stations, uh, Volta charging, et cetera, et cetera. And lastly, lastly, you know, I'm going to do the Steve Jobs. One more thing, right? One more, one more thing we do is if the reason you're buying this is you want to be environmentally friendly, what happens to these millions of batteries after it's done? Right? I have tons of my friends who still have the first gen Prius. What's going to happen to the battery? Are you just going to throw it away? Probably. So we track the recycling facilities where the batteries are going. And now we're working with partners to actually tell people, listen, there has to be a standardized process for recycling batteries and or taking, let's say, a million batteries and converting them into a utility scale, what's called a utility scale grid. Now, imagine if I had a couple of million of these batteries that converted into utility scale in Texas. When the power went out, I could have easily used that utility scale battery to actually provide power for a day, two days, or whatever, you know, to go provide that. So that's the overall picture for EV tracker. We are tracking the whole supply chain and then different people are using it to predict either a price of lithium, price of batteries, price of charging per kilowatt, price of the underlying stock, et cetera, et cetera. What do you see 2021 and beyond? We all know that renewable energy is not going anywhere. We all know that energy transition is here and it's here to stay. It's going to take everybody working together to make this happen. What do you see as being the next big thing, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, in the renewable space? From my perspective, you know, it depends we're selling the underlying building blocks, right? So what we see is from a top-down perspective, I just, I, I really think there's a generational shift, right? I'm 51 and I, you know, average life expectancy, US male, 80-something. But I see anybody who's less than 40 years old actually realizes climate change is a global problem. If you've lived in any area along the coast, Miami, New Orleans, even where I live in New York, we're having all these once in a lifetime storm, once in a lifetime thing. And it's happening every two years, five years, 10 years. So we just, what I see is a real growing awareness of people saying, I want to do my part. And it could be from anybody. I want to see, okay, if Tesla is selling this car, great, you, you have a great car, it's made with this, it does this. Where's the aluminum source from? Is your aluminum clean? If you're using dirty aluminum, which is used by which is sourced from a factory, which is using the worst coal to actually go pollute the atmosphere, then how clean is your car? Maybe then I should buy a GM car, which has clean aluminum, but still uses a small engine. But what I see is really the end humors really asking for real visibility into, okay, I have a Coca-Cola can. Is this can sourced from clean aluminum? I use, you know, Nestle, right? Nestle has this really nice Nespresso machine. I'll go pop a couple of these things in, but I recycle my pods. And now on the new pods we are buying, they actually say they are clean aluminum, which is made from, you know, blue power, 
blue power is, let's say, hydrogen power, or it's made from hydro, uh, you know, hydropower, Alcoa does that. I really see the customer, all of us driving demand for more visibility into where all our stuff is coming from, right? I mean, that's really what I see. And, you know, I just think it's unstoppable. You know, it's, you know, look at, look at, just ask your younger friends, even you too, right? I mean, everybody wants to know. And if it's a little small part I can do, pay a little more, which in the end will get better. Of course, I'll pay it. And lastly, there's going to be the same way you and I have a credit rating, a FICA score, companies have a DNB score, companies issue bonds in green finance and they get a credit rating. Every company will have a carbon finance rating. You know, and it'll be issued by third parties who would probably use asset level data that we're providing. Thank you once again for that, Mr. Manish Sagar. Great stuff from him. And of course, if you want to know more about what they're doing over at RS Metrics and about ESG signals as well as the EV tracker, just go to their website, rsmetrics.com. That's rsmetrics.com. And of course, you can find Manish and his team, Desi, and the entire crew and the great job they're doing over at LinkedIn as well. So definitely be sure to give them a follow and find out exactly what they're doing over there at RS Metrics. I want to thank everybody for taking time to listen to the program today. You can catch all of the Green Insider Podcast and our brand new Power Chat our 10-minute short-form episodes on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you check us out on Apple iTunes, we ask that you leave us a five-star rating. Why? Because we promise you'll learn more about renewable energy than you did before you stopped by. For Mike Niemer, the entire eRenewable team, thank you for listening to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.